Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome into the house of the Lord for worship. We are so delighted to be with you this morning. If it's your first time here or your first time back in a while, we are extra glad to have you with us this morning. If you're joining us online at our 9 o'clock service, I want to let you know we have online hosts who are available for you all throughout the service. They would love to answer your questions about our church and would love to pray with you. So if you want to go into a one-on-one prayer chat with one of our hosts, just use the request prayer button. Otherwise, we just encourage you to participate in the service as you feel led. It is our heart for you that you feel connected to this community and what God is doing here from wherever you are today. So thank you as well for joining us. Well, I'd love to invite you to stand as you are able in body or in spirit for our call to worship, which today comes from Psalm 8. And it says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's lift our voices together in praise of him. Sing this out together. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Holy, 
Well, our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Lamentations, and we don't read from this book very often. It's a pretty heavy one, 
Lamentations is actually a book of five poems of grief over the fall of Jerusalem. But in the middle of this third poem, in the middle of Lamentations 3, there's this turn that happens for a moment where we move away from the grief of what Israel is going through toward the mercy of God and the hope of his compassion. Even those who were currently being punished for their rebellion against God, even there, there was hope of his mercies to be new. So this is Lamentations 3, starting in verse 19. He writes, My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's hope in him together this morning. Let's continue in worship.
come before the Lord in prayer. Father, great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness to me, to each one in this room, to those who can't be in this room today. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every single morning. And thank goodness because we need new mercies every single morning. Father, we confess that we are weak. We confess that we are broken. We confess that we have messed up this week and we need your mercies once again. We need your mercies in the midst of a world that is dying and desperate for you. This world needs new mercies. Our families need new mercies today. We thank you that in Jesus, because of his body broken and his blood poured out because of the cross and the empty grave, the fact that he died, rose, and ascended and is seated on the throne, that means that we have access to these mercies every day. We can stand boldly before the throne of grace because Jesus has made us well. So, Father, for those in this room who are feeling unworthy, for those in this room who are feeling cast out, for those who maybe even feel abandoned by you, like the writer in Lamentations, begging you to remember them in their grief, Holy Spirit, will you remember us today? Will you minister to us today? Remind us that your mercies for us are new. That your presence is a promise. And you keep your promises. Father, will you prepare us for what you have for us today? No one is in this room by accident. Whether this is their thousandth time in this building or their first, no one is here today by mistake. Do you have something of yourself? to show us, to give us. Will you give us eyes that are open to see you, ears that are open to hear, and hearts that are tender and humble and receptive to receive everything that you have. All of this is for you. It's for your glory. Make your name great. Magnify yourself in this place, we pray. By the power of your spirit in us, in the name of Christ Jesus, our King. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Springbrook members and guests. My name is Eric Runk, and I'm one of the elders here at Springbrook Community Church. I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome you. If you are joining us online, I would encourage you to say hello in the chat and or fill out the online communications card. If you're joining us in person, thank you. You should have a communications card near you or on the seat that you sat on, and we would also like to hear from you. 
If you walked through our main entrance this morning, you may have noticed the beautiful prayer garden on the west side of the entrance. That prayer garden was built by Lex Jerome as part of his Eagle Scout project. And if you haven't had an opportunity to see it, I would encourage you to visit that. It's available for you at any time, and we really want to thank Lex for doing that. Um, Springbrook is a house of prayer, and I want to remind you that in between our services from 1025 to 1045, you have the opportunity to come here in the sanctuary and ask for upfront prayer. In addition to that, we also have our corporate prayer gathering the second Tuesday of every month right here in the sanctuary where we have an opportunity for um, praise, worship, and of course, prayer. That takes place at 7 p.m., the second Tuesday of every month. October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and each week we've been highlighting a different pastor. And I have the honor and the privilege to recognize Pastor Joseph Hawley this week. Pastor Joseph will be married to his wife, Samantha, for 22 years in December. They have two children and four grandchildren that live in the area, so they stay busy with with them. Um, Pastor Joseph was hired on our staff in 2018 as a part-time facilities director. You may have seen him running around changing the thermostats, trying to make sure the building's comfortable for everyone, and uh, hopefully that issue will be resolved. Also, in 2021, he was hired full-time as pastoral care and facilities director due to generous giving from this church congregation. So thank you for that. Pastor Joseph came to Christ when he was 15 years old, and he's been walking with the Lord from that point forward. He has studied him, he teaches about him, and he shares his love of Christ with anyone who will listen. If you've not had an opportunity to talk to Pastor Joseph, I would encourage you to do so, and he has a very interesting testimony. I can guarantee you won't be disappointed. So we want to thank Pastor Joseph today for everything that he has done for our church. If you would, give him a round of applause. This year, we have a unique opportunity to partner with Samaritan's Purse. We're going to watch a short video, and then Pastor Rich will be out in a moment. Kids behind me are so excited because they've just received their boxes. Have you ever thought what comes after the box? At Samaritan's Purse, we've got an incredible program after Operation Christmas Child. It's called The Greatest Journey. The purpose of Samaritan's Purse is evangelism. We just don't want to just hand out a box. Children that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we want them to grow in their faith. We want to disciple them and raise up an army of young kids who can take their faith and share it with another child so that that person will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is what it's all about, evangelism, taking the gospel to another generation. You shall love the Lord your God. Do you know that? You're passing on what you've learned to another person, not just keeping the knowledge for yourself. You feel loved, 
you feel like, you know what, I'm at home. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do right now. We always work through the local church. And when it's all said and done and the training's finished, these kids are going to be part of the church, going out into their communities, sharing their faith in Jesus Christ. The Greatest Journey is a great opportunity to impact the life of a child, teaching children how to share their faith with their friends and family around the world, raising up an army of evangelists who can take the gospel to the next generation. Well, that was great. That's an exciting opportunity, as Eric mentioned, um, for us to be able to uh, partner with Samaritan's Person this way. It's an opportunity for us to, uh, to reach kids with the hope of Christ. At the same time, we have some opportunities uh, with Operation Christmas Child to reach our community uh, this year. This is Jeff Gibbs, and he is the coordinator for Operation Christmas Child, working with Becky Atkinson, our coordinator here at Springbrook. Jeff, tell us a little bit about Operation Christmas Child. Well, I, I'm thankful to be here, and I appreciate Springbrook, and I appreciate your Awana ministry, which all my kids went through back when you guys were meeting in Jacobs years ago, so I really appreciate it, and thank you for being here. I want to thank you guys for your participation in Operation Christmas Child. It's a, a ministry that's literally touching millions of lives around the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's much more than putting a smile on a kid's face, as you can see in the video today, and um, really thankful. In fact, this since 1993, Operation Christmas Child has collected 198 million shoe boxes. Wow. So that means this year we're, get, we're going over 200 million. Wow. Um, now, what's more exciting than that is that since 2009, when we started the Greatest Journey Discipleship Program, 31 million kids have participated. Wow. And even more exciting, 15 million have made decisions for Christ. Yeah, so it's not just a shoebox. It's, it's a- not a shoebox. Um, <clears throat> Over the last 20 or 22 years, we've been talking about with Becky, she's faithfully organized your, your um, shoebox collection here at Springbrook as your project leader, and really, really thankful for that. Um, but you may not know after you dropped your shoebox off that she had to gather all them and get them over to a collection center. And at the collection center, uh, the boxes are all counted, they're packed, and they're put into a, um, cartons for shipment to the processing centers, which... They will all be inspected. Each, all 10.5 million boxes are inspected and prepared for shipment around the world in a matter of a few weeks. I mean, it's quite, quite a part of project. Um, so you can imagine it takes a lot of people to, uh, to pull this ministry off. Anyway, I'm really excited to announce that um, Springbrook, with the blessing and encouragement of Pastor Rich and uh, volunteering of Becky, uh, is going to become an Operation Christmas Child shoebox collection drop-off this year, where other churches and individuals will be bringing their boxes to drop off here during the week of uh, November 14th through the uh, 21st. So really appreciate that, and really excited to bring you guys on board. Um, <clears throat> and again, just a quick reminder, uh, last year, and Becky probably knows this, you collected 73 shoeboxes here at Springbrook. But guess what? This year... We're praying for 200. 200. Easy peasy. Easy peasy, right? Okay. So I want to thank Pastor Rich. I want to thank Becky for your faithful service over the years and for stepping up to not only be the project leader here and continue to work, but also as the uh, drop-off coordinator for Operation Christmas Child. So thank you. And I'm going to let Becky. Hi, everyone. Uh, I've been um, helping with coordinating Springbrook to do Operation Christmas Child for something like 22 years. And over all these years, I want to congratulate everyone. We have sent out gospel messages 
for over 2,300 children. Mm. Our boxes have gone to South America, Central America, predominantly Africa, and the Middle East. And it is interesting because you can actually, I've actually tracked our boxes. I'm really excited that this is an emotional opportunity that you can do with your family, teach your children, reach out to your friends, through Springbrook, reach the community, and we're reaching the world. So, yes, of course, we're looking for some volunteers. Uh, <laughs> what you need to know is that uh, the Springbrook boxes that we collect are due on Sunday, the 20th of November, which is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. But volunteers are needed the week before all the way up to the 21st, which is the Monday before Thanksgiving. So Jeff and I will be at the table in the foyer um, after the service, please come up and ask questions uh, and get some further information. Great. Hey, Becky, I want to thank you and, uh, for serving in Springbrook and making this happen. Jeff, thanks for your leadership and for supporting us. So. Our elder board and our staff had an opportunity to talk about um, just what it takes to support this ministry. And I want to thank uh, Matt and our youth ministry and uh, just the effort that goes into supporting a ministry like this. And so um, we have an opportunity to talk with new families that are dropping these boxes off uh, as they're bringing them in. And so Becky has got a schedule that is uh, available. You can sign up for a one or two hour slot um, to help with the collection. So if you want to know more information about that, go to uh, Shoe Boxes. Hey, I have a really quick announcement I also want to make. Um, we want to take a moment to welcome Rebecca Suarez as our Kid City Assistant Children's Director. So that is a answer to prayer. We're, we are missing three, but really excited about having Rebecca on staff now. Her husband, uh, Andy, serves as an elder. Uh, Rebecca is very heavily involved in our ministry and serves in Awana, and so we're excited uh, to bring her on as our children's uh, assistant director. So she's out at the uh, children's check-in uh, registration desk this morning. Stop by and congratulate her and tell her good morning. And then I wanted to give you another quick update. Our HVAC system is now up to date. And so uh, it was a significant investment. Our heating and air conditioning is now working well. And so uh, for me, that's a big deal. In fact, I'm a little bit warm today. In our house, we don't turn the heater on until November 1st. And so we're weathering it out. But I'm so grateful that we have a, a system in place now that will enable you to be comfortable. And so we want to praise God for his provision for that. Um, it was a significant, a significant investment in our ministry. And so if you'd like to uh, help offset some of those costs, you can go to uh, uh, springbrook.org slash HVAC, and you can see some information about the project there as well. Last week, I had somebody ask me, um, how do we collect tithes and offerings at Springbrook? <laughs> and so if you are new to Springbrook, it's important for you to know that um, our Springbrook app is a significant tool for us to engage with our, con our congregation. And so you can text Springbrook app to 77977, and uh, you'll be able to stay connected to Springbrook. You can give from that app, or then you can also just text Springbrook to 77977, and you'll get a link um, that will enable you to uh, offer your tithes and offerings up as a part of our worship service. And so if you have any questions about that, just be sure to visit um, springbrook.org slash give. Well, today we are continuing our series through Colossians, and I have been so encouraged. Uh, Colossians is one of my favorite books. As you read through Colossians, you, you just get a, a sense of the supremacy of Christ in our lives. And so we have an opportunity to unpack that uh, for the next several weeks. Last week, Pastor Matt brought us through Colossians uh, chapter 1, verse 23, with a reminder that because of the work of Christ on the cross, 
We can be presented holy and blameless before a holy God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. God created a perfect world, sin entered into it and messed it up. It's now fallen and broken. That's the bad news. The good news is this, that through Christ, through our relationship with him, we can begin to recover and pursue God's original design for us. Colossians 1, uh, 21 through 23 said this, and you, speaking to the Christians, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled his body of flesh by his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so we were once alienated, and now we are not. God is infinite in his infinite plan, sent his son, enabling us to be presented holy and blameless before himself if we continue in the faith. And this message, this is the foundation of the ministry with which Paul has been entrusted. Paul has now become a minister of this good news, of this gospel. You know, Jesus has done the work reconciling us to our Heavenly Father. And then we continue in the faith and working our faith out, avoiding putting our hope in things of this world and keeping our eyes focused on him And the Holy Spirit works in us to enable us to live in faith and in hope. Today we're in uh, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 24. And so if you brought a Bible with you, uh, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And let's read beginning in verse 24. Paul writes this. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I have become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden for all the ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of our glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, And teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he has powerfully put within me. And so the purpose of Paul's writing, and the purpose for all of scripture for that matter, is is not to help us to be better people. It's not to help us to be good people or moral people. It's certainly not to help us become more religious All of scripture points us to Jesus Christ, a person. And that's that person that Paul is proclaiming. He said in verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It is him we proclaim. Paul does not proclaim an idea, an abstract idea or a formula or a more religious system. He is proclaiming to us a savior And he's linking us to everything that he has said about Jesus up until this point in this verse. Back in uh, Colossians 1.15, he says this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, for by him all things were created. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. 
Verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. In verse 19, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him reconciling to himself all things. Verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach, if you indeed continue in the faith. Paul can't stop talking about Jesus. The whole book that he writes is focusing us on on Jesus. It is him that we proclaim. Have you ever met somebody that uh, when you introduce a topic to them that's important to them, they won't stop talking about it? (laughs) You know, in our house, if you start talking about grandkids, my wife and I will talk about grandkids all day long. We love to talk about our grandkids. You know, maybe you talk about barbecue. In fact, just the topic of barbecue. I'm getting hungry. I'm ready for some barbecue. I had some Blackwood barbecue last week. Oh, it was so good. Well, have you tried this barbecue? And so you get people talking about topics, and they just can't stop talking about it. Or government. You know, we get pulled into those conversations all the time. You know, this is what's happening with Paul here. This is the same thing that's happening to Paul. He can't stop talking about Christ Since verse 14, where he talks about the redemption and the forgiveness of sins that is ours. He can't stop talking about Jesus. And that's all he really talks about, really through the whole letter, is the supremacy of Christ in all things. For Paul, it was his passion, his person, his work, his ministry, all of this in the context of our redemption and forgiveness of sins. In Philippians 2.9, it says that Jesus has a name above every other name. He is supreme in all things. And I think it's easy for us to forget that Jesus is sufficient and supreme in all things. No matter what's happening in your life, no matter what's going on around you, Jesus is supreme in all things. Jesus is supreme in our economy. He is supreme in the midst of our governmental, our health concerns. He is, in the, he is supreme in the midst of our local, our, our U.S., our, our global crisis. Jesus is sufficient in all things, and he is sufficient in the midst of our suffering. Which is why Paul can say in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh. Paul is able to rejoice in his sufferings because he understands the supremacy of Christ in every area of his life, which is one thing that's perfectly clear about Paul's ministry. It was accomplished through suffering. Paul was beat within a matter of life and death. Five times he received 39 lashes. He was beat. He was thrown out of town. He was left for dead. Suffering is something that Paul was very familiar with. And in spite of that, he's able to rejoice because he understood fully the supremacy of Christ. And we all suffer. Suffering happens when we undergo pain or we go undergo distress or hardship. You know, it's something that happens to us. Sometimes we bring it on ourselves, and sometimes it just happens. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's too painful to discuss, and sometimes it's just as simple as a hardship. But Paul sees his suffering not as a a reason for discouragement, but to rejoice. He can rejoice in his sufferings because he he knows somebody else is going to benefit. He finds a reason for joy because he knows that his suffering is going to result in the benefit for someone else, for you and for me and for his listeners. You know, when we put others ahead of ourselves, it is a sacrifice. 
And sometimes we suffer, even for the smallest things. You had to sacrifice some time. And so sometimes, maybe you're here this morning, you feel like you're having to suffer because you're here. We suffer for a variety of reasons. And some of you are going through some significant issues in your life where there's genuine pain and, and suffering. We all suffer. And, and Paul can identify with that and is able to rejoice in that. Paul's ministry was marked by suffering. First, he was suffering for our benefit. He was suffering as a part of his ministry. He was suffering for you and for me. But then he's also filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, for the church. Isn't that an interesting passage? I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I want you to feel the weight of what Paul is saying in that passage. There is something lacking in Christ's death on the cross for us. There's something lacking in Christ's suffering for us. There's something lacking. There's something missing. The death of Jesus on the cross does not accomplish something. And do you know what that is? Is the proclamation or the telling others the good news about the death of Jesus on the cross and what that means for us. Good news is not good news if it's not shared with others. And so Jesus' death on the cross doesn't get that news shared with people that desperately need to hear it. And so Paul is saying, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, who has the responsibility for making known the manifold wisdom of God to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news. In Romans 10, 14, how will they call on him if they've never believed? How will they believe if they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet are those who preach the good news. And we're not just talking about preaching from a role perspective like I'm doing right now. We're talking about our sharing and being a witness for Christ as we share the hope of our hope that we have in him with others. You know, Mark 16, after Jesus was crucified, he, was, he died, he was buried, he was resurrected, he appeared to the disciples, and he said, look, you need to now go into all the world and proclaim the gospel for all of creation. Acts 1.8 says that we're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us, and you will be witnesses. We're all called to share the hope that we have in Christ with others. In Matthew 28, we're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them, to obey all that he has commanded. And so there are some responsibilities that we have that were not sufficient at Christ's death on the cross that Paul says, I am filling these things up as an example for you, the body of Christ, the church. The work that was not finished when Christ died was this. The work that needs to be done is the building up of the body of Christ so that the manifold wisdom of God might be known. That work is being accomplished right now through the ministry that Paul is talking about that he's been entrusted to and he has passed on to us. It's important to know that the work that Jesus had to do was finished. In John 19.30, when Jesus had received that sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And so the work that Jesus had reconciling us to his heavenly father was complete when he died on the cross for our sins. And he proved that by overcoming death and being resurrected and appearing to many witnesses, and he gave us other teachings, and then he ascended into heaven and gives us the hope that when he comes a second time, we're going to be taking up with him. And so the work that Jesus had to accomplish was finished through his death on the cross. In fact, this is what Paul tells us back in 13 and 14 of chapter 1. Jesus has delivered us 
from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred our citizenship to the kingdom of heaven of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' work is done. It has been accomplished. But the work of ministry continues. The work that Jesus did in reconciling us to uh, himself is done. But we have to continue to fill up in, in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, those things that weren't accomplished. And so we have been entrusted with a ministry that is ongoing as a result of Christ's work on the cross. The work of Springbrook and the work that should be for every church is that we participate and we use our time, our finances, our talents, our spiritual gifts to build up the local body of Christ, local body of Christ, preaching to others the good news and helping them to understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ and then building them up in the faith. And so Paul is able to rejoice in his sufferings because he knows we're going to benefit for it. He knows that he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church, and he is passing that ministry on to us. This is the ministry in verse 25 that Paul was called to, and he passes on to us. This is the ministry of which he became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the, world of, make the word of God fully known. A part of his ministry is, is building up this church. He's, a part of his ministry is for us so that we might continue to make known the manifold wisdom of God. That's a mystery that has been hidden for ages and for generations, but is now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the glory of his hope. When we become Christ followers, the spirit of God enters into us. Christ is in us. And he's working in us to accomplish what God has for us individually and together as the body of Christ. The word of God is the mystery. It has now been revealed. As you read throughout the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament is pointing to the coming Christ. It's pointing to a Messiah. It's coming to a Savior. All of the Old Testament points to the Christ. And that's why Jesus' birth is so important. When we celebrate that this Christmas, we're celebrating the fulfillment of of everything that has, been, that has been foretold in the Old Testament, we're celebrating the fulfillment of that, and we're realizing now the hope that we have. That mystery that was a mystery has now been revealed to us. And so we've been entrusted with that message. We've been entrusted with that truth. And that's where stewardship comes into play. Stewardship, from a church perspective, is making the Word of God fully known to others. So that's no longer a mystery to them. Have you ever talked to somebody that was confused or had questions about God or the Bible? I hope so. That's what we've been entrusted to. There's this mystery that was a mystery for us at one point that we now has been revealed to us. And that good news has been given to us as a stewardship issue. We have to share that good news with others. It's a stewardship issue. Every one of us at some point has come to the understanding of our need for a relationship with Christ. You are not born a Christ follower. You weren't born from the womb waking up saying, I know Jesus. In fact, if you grew up in a household, they might not even talk about Jesus. They might not have had a Bible. I mean, we're not born understanding our need for a relationship with Christ. Somewhere, someplace along the journey in your life, somebody revealed to you what was revealed to them 
and shared your need for a relationship with Christ. They made known the word of God fully so that you are no longer in the dark. And then not only that, not only have they made that mystery known, but we want to help people to fully understand what it means in our life. And so the Great Commission is not just helping people to cross a line of faith and making a faith decision. Hey, I prayed to receive Christ, I'm done now, right? No, we're to, we're to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be a part of something bigger. We're supposed to be a part of the local church. And then we have the responsibility of teaching others so that we can become mature. And so it's a process that we go through. as a, a, a mystery revealed, and there's a stewardship of what we do with that mystery that has been revealed. From a stewardship perspective, you know, Paul makes it so clear uh, in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, in verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, says that you are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. There's nothing you've done during God's favor. You are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. He is the central figure of our faith, and that's what saves us when we place our faith in him. We've been saved by grace through faith. There's nothing that you've done on your own to earn it. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then the second part of that is the stewardship. You know, you have been called into a relationship with Christ, not for your own purposes, but for God's. We are his workmanship, and we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so God doesn't call us into a relationship just for himself. He calls us into a relationship so that we can then continue to make that mystery that was known, known to people that don't know it and then help them to walk in it as they grow towards spiritual maturity and grow in faith and stature. That's our responsibility as a church. There's a mystery that we've been saved by grace through faith that has now been revealed to you. And there's a stewardship issue of how we put that faith into practice. How has our relationship with Christ changed us? Has it changed our perspective? Are we able to find joy in our suffering? Are we able to, in spite of everything that's going on around us, know that God is sovereign and has a plan and a purpose for our life? And so is Christ sufficient in all things in our lives? You know, Colossians 1.21 said that um, we have been, we were alienated, now we're not alienated. We are, we are now being presented holy and blameless and above approach if indeed you continue in the faith, we need to continue in the faith. Our stewardship is the message of grace that we have been entrusted with. It's a stewardship issue when we talk about God has called me into a relationship with himself. I am a Christ follower. If you can say you're a Christian, you are a part of this stewardship of having the responsibility of sharing that with other people. Because that mystery that has now been revealed to you, other people need to hear about. You know, at Springbrook, our first priority is to reach others that don't have a relationship with Christ and to help them to understand what that means so that they're no longer alienated from God. The first part of our vision for why we exist is to reach a community that is lost and confused and has questions and is alienated from God. You know, Jesus is the solution to that alienation. You know, we can pursue and recover God's original design for us only through the good news of having a relationship with Christ. And people desperately need to hear that hope in our community, in our world. People need Jesus. And that is our first priority. The second part of our priority is to encourage one another 
to grow in faith and obedience, to continue in the faith, and to build passionate followers. We need to continue in the faith. It's not a one-time decision, but something that we should be looking for on, on, a, daily, on a daily basis, an opportunity to grow in faith. You know, we kicked off this new year with encountering more of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I've been praying all year as we move through this year. It is, it's coming up towards the end of the year. It's coming fast, isn't it? And so when we get to December, I'm hoping that you can look back and see where God has grown you in this past year. Because if you are the same today, if you are the same at the end of this year on December 31st that you were on January 1st of this year, then, then God is not growing you. And we should all be able to look back in our lives and see where we have grown in our faith. We need to continue in this faith. There should be something different about us as God works out his plans and his purposes in our life. We've been entrusted with the good news about Jesus. And like Paul, we, are, we want to be good stewards. We want to share with others the hope that we have within ourselves, And we want to build them up in the faith. It is a stewardship issue. In uh, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable to the disciples uh, to give them an example of what good stewardship um, looks like. And so in Matthew chapter 25, uh, Jesus gives them this parable of the talents. He says this beginning in verse 14. This stewardship is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and he entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five, to another he gave two, to another he gave one. To each according to his ability. And then he went away. When he, had, when he came back, received the five talents at once, he traded with them. The guy that he gave five to gave him five more back. So it was the same with the guy that he had given two talents to. He made two talents and gave him two back. But the one who had received one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. When the guy came back, the first servant said, hey, I've given you five more. I invested it and I have five more. And, and to which he replies, well done, good and faithful servant. And then to the one that he gave two, he said, hey, you gave me two, I'm, I invested it, and I gave, you, I gave you two more back. I've given you four. And so there was a multiplication of an investment. You know, we are investing in leaders here at Springbrook. We're praying that as we invest in leaders, they will multiply. We're praying that as, as people are good stewards and, and faithful with the good news that God's giving them, that they will share it with others, and they would be a multiplication of people that come to understand their need for a relationship with Christ. And so we're praying that our ministry would be effective in its stewardship of helping others to understand how to have their relationship with Christ. Multiplication is important. We want to see more. We want to see more believers. We want to see more leaders. We want to see more small groups. Multiplication is built into the DNA of what good stewardship is. But to the one that he had given one, he said, I, I, I was afraid, uh, and so I buried it. And I, I didn't do anything with it, but I'm giving you your one talent. And so he received the one talent. And his master said, I knew you were hard, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here's what was yours. His master answered him, you know, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have scattered no seed. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers. At least I could have gotten some interest off of that. Take your Take that talent from him, give it to the one who has ten, for to everyone who has more will be given, and there will be an abundance, but from the one who, is, who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he casts the worthless servant into the outer darkness, into that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
we have been entrusted with the good news about Christ. Scripture warns us not to put it under a bowl, not to keep it to ourselves. Because if we don't share what we have, we're being like the first, we're being like this third servant. We're, we're afraid to share our faith. Or we're afraid to step out in faith where multiplication is scary. But if we operate out of fear, instead of trusting in the supremacy of Christ to work what he wants to work in our life, then we are like this bad steward and there's going to be a reckoning. We have a responsibility to be good stewards with the good news about Christ. And as a church, we have a responsibility for sharing that good news and helping others to grow in their faith. You know, that is our priority. We have been entrusted with a ministry here at Springbrook. We are stewards of what God has given us. We are stewards of this building. God has given us new families here at Springbrook. I'm so excited about that, and I pray that they will connect and they will find a church home here. It's a stewardship issue when somebody new starts to attend Springbrook. It's a gift. And so we want to be good stewards with our, with our, with our first-time guests. And then God has given us families that have been here for years, and I pray that they would connect and grow in faith and love and obedience. We want to help people to grow in their faith. We want mature, passionate followers of Christ. And so it's a twofold vision. We want to help people connect and we want to help them grow. It's a stewardship issue. God has given every Christ follower a spiritual gift. And I pray that everyone would understand what their gift is and use it to build up the body of Christ here at Springbrook so that the manifold wisdom of God might be known to a watching world and that we could grow and encourage one another in the faith. That is a stewardship issue. God has given you a spiritual gift and we need to use that as good stewards to invest in and strengthen the church. God has given us finances and resources, and I pray that they would be used for God's glory and for his purposes. Stewardship is an issue of whatever God has entrusted to our care and how we use it. You know, God has done the work of reconciling us to his son through his death, and we will continue to grow in faith and love as we build up the body of Christ and avoid putting our home our hope in things of this world. In verse 28, Paul says this, it is him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. This proclamation, as we proclaim Jesus, has two components. It has a warning and has a teaching. You know, we have to warn everyone of the consequences of not having a relationship with Christ. Scripture tells us that that if we have a relationship with Christ, that we have the assurance of heaven. It also tells us that if we don't have a relationship with Christ, we have the assurance of hell. There's nothing in the middle. There's no fence on the line. When we die, or when Christ comes back, when he returns, it's going to be an either or. That is the warning. We need a relationship with Christ. The warning is, is without that, you have the assurance of spending eternity separated from God. I can't think of a more important message than for us to be (laughs) clear on in terms of what we're working on. And this is why Paul had to write to the Colossians. There was confusion. They They were confused about their faith. They were confused about who Jesus was. They were putting themselves in their hope in things of this world. And Paul writes them to clarify for them what it means to understand the supremacy of Jesus. It is him we proclaim, and we have to warn everyone that doesn't have that relationship, that doesn't have that home, have that hope, what the implications are. And so that's the first part of the proclamation. The second part is that we're teaching everyone with wisdom so that everyone might be presented mature in Christ. 
You know, our purpose is to proclaim or share Christ with others. Our purpose is also to labor, to build one another up, to make sure that this church is strengthened, to make sure that people are growing in their faith so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Jesus' prayer in John 17 was for the sanctification of the believers, that they would be made mature, that they would grow in their faith, that there would be a depth of their spiritual knowledge and wisdom. He prays for the sanctification of the believers, but then he also prays for those that will believe in him through them. May they all be united. May they be one. May we present everyone mature in Christ. And so we have a twofold purpose of reaching our community for Christ and building passionate disciples. And everything revolves around proclaiming Christ and seeing that become a reality. We want to present everyone mature in Christ as the Holy Spirit works in us. For this I toil, this I labor. I'm struggling with all the energy that he is powerfully working in me. You see, if we try to do this on our own strength, if we sit down with a piece of paper and say, hey, I've got a plan. I think we should do this. I think we should do that. If we toil and the Spirit of God is not in it, then we are in trouble. Paul says, I toil and I struggle with all the energy that he powerfully works in me. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit working in us to accomplish what he has for us as a church and as individuals. We are praying that God would go before us, giving us opportunities to share the hope and the love of Christ with others. That's something we should be praying about as a church. We need the Holy Spirit to go before us in our community. From a scriptural perspective, we know that no one comes into a relationship with Christ unless the Father is at work drawing them into a relationship with himself. And so we should be praying that the Spirit of God is going before us, going before our relationships and our conversations. And so as you think about your home, your workplace, your neighbors, the people that you encounter, every one of those is an opportunity for a divine appointment, for you to be able to be a good steward with what God's entrusted to your care and simply share what Christ has done in your life. Our sharing our testimony is important and making others to be aware of that is important and, and helping them to understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ and helping them to cross that line of faith. That is an important And then we need to pray that God would continue to grow us up in our faith. You know, with the Spirit of God working in us, he doesn't leave us where we are. He grows us. We take steps of obedience. We grow in spiritual maturity. And so we learn about Scripture. We learn how to apply Scripture to our lives. We learn what our spiritual gift is, and we learn how to serve to build up the body of Christ. And then we learn what it means to live missionally. And so we're on a spiritual journey together as God builds and strengthens us up to accomplish what he has for us together. And so the supremacy of Christ in our life is the ministry with which Paul has been entrusted. It's a ministry that he passes on to us, and we want to make sure that we are being good stewards with that message. You know, Jesus has done the work of reconciling us to God. If you don't have a relationship with Christ this morning, if you're not clear about that, And your first priority is to understand what it means to be reconciled to God. And if you've got questions about a relationship with Christ, we would love the opportunity to talk with you. And so if you're in person with us this morning, you've got a connection card that's on your chair. And so you can uh, take that out and uh, you can just let us know if we can uh, help answer any questions that you have. If you're watching with us online this morning, uh, our online hosts are there. There's a place for you to say, hey, I've got questions about having a relationship with Christ. But Jesus has done the work of reconciling us to God. 
And now we work to continue in faith and avoid putting our hope in things of this world. Our first priority should make sure that Christ is central in our lives. It's central in our teaching here at Springbrook. It's central in our ministry here at Springbrook. You know, when we were evaluating Operation Christmas Child, the first question that our elder board and our missions team asked was, how does this ministry fulfill our vision for reaching our Jerusalem or Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth? There's a lot of great ministries out there. There's a lot of great things for us to do, but how do we partner with ministries that are enabling us to further the gospel message? That's one of the things I love about Operation Christmas Child is we have an opportunity to share the love of Christ with those kids and those ministries are coming alongside. Kids are making faith commitments. There's, there's fruit from this ministry. And so when we evaluate our ministries, when we evaluate our missions opportunities, we're looking for where the fruit is going to, to come about. You know, we have an opportunity next year to be a part of supporting some new church plants. Those are new church plants that are going to be starting in communities where people don't have an opportunity to go to church or not going to church. And there's going to be opportunities for the body of Christ to be built up. And so we get to be a part of ministries and missions activities that are furthering the work of Christ, furthering the work of the ministry that we've been entrusted to. And so, so it's a stewardship issue. And so we use our finances. We use our, we use our time and our talents and our gifts. And we use those things from a stewardship perspective to make sure that God is being glorified, the church is being built up, and the manifold wisdom of God is being known and being preached. We need to continue in faith, avoiding putting our hope in this world. I don't have to worry about what's going on in this world because I know that God is sovereign. He is in control, and Christ is supreme in all things. And no matter what I'm, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm going through, I can trust that Jesus is supreme in all things. You know, in this world, we don't have peace. This world's messed up. If you're looking for peace and hope out there, you're going to be disappointed. Jesus says, I have overcome death. I have overcome this world. Take heart. In me, you find your peace. And so our joy comes from being focused on the centrality of Christ in our life. And then we have to rely on the Holy Spirit working in us, enabling us to live in faith and in hope. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit working in us to accomplish all that God has for us individually and together as the body of Christ. And I know that it is possible and in many cases what people are experiencing that you can know stories from the Bible without knowing the story of the Bible. And so it's very easy to to read through scripture and to know what it says without knowing what it means in my life. It's possible to know stories from the Bible without knowing the story of the Bible, the story that God is writing in your life, the story that God is writing in our life together. And that's based on a relationship. It's not just the information, but, but what are we doing with it? That's where the wisdom comes into play. It's putting into practice those things that we know to be true. And it's also possible to know about Jesus without knowing Jesus. It's possible to know about Jesus without having a relationship with Jesus. I have yet to encounter any conversation, at least in the United States, or a conversation where somebody has not heard the name of Jesus. Everybody knows Jesus' name, at least in this area. I have not encountered one person in this area that has not heard that name. It's possible to know Jesus without knowing him. And so we need to help people to understand what that relationship with Christ looks like and embrace it and let it transform their life. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind as we study and apply scripture to our life. And, and what we know is, a, is that we need a relationship with Jesus, not just knowing about him, but knowing him personally. And I want to encourage you this morning as we continue through this series, as you think about some of the things that we looked at from our passage in Colossians this morning, 
I want to encourage you to lean into knowing Jesus as a person. Knowing him, it's a relationship. It's somebody that you talk to, just like your spouse or your coworker, your kids. It's a relationship. And we can talk to God through prayer. It's a relationship. And he speaks to us through his scripture. And so when we're reading God's word and we're, we're studying this and we're applying this, God's speaking to us. You know, Jesus is not, is, is not just an idea. He's a person and he wants a relationship with us. And if you want to know how to have a relationship with him, please let us know. Make your relationship with Jesus a priority. You know, when I wake up in the morning, it's hard for me not to look at the news first. <laughs> in fact, I had, to, I had to deactivate my Facebook account. <laughs> so I'm no longer on Facebook. If you need me, I do have an Instagram account. I've got an email address. I'm no longer on Facebook. I was getting sucked in to the things of this world. It's just so easy to get sucked in. I want to encourage you not to lean into the things of this world, but lean into making Jesus a priority in your life. You know, make your relationship with Jesus a priority. He came to give us life and life to the full. And I just pray that he will give each of us joy, that that joy would overflow in our relationships with him and relationships with others. And so let's all lean together into what Christ has for us individually and together as the body of Christ. As we continue through our series in Colossians, we're going to be looking at various passages of Scripture that all point to the supremacy and the reality and the hope that we have in Christ. Let's be praying for opportunities to apply and to put into practice those things that we know to be true. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for this day you've given us today. I thank you that Jesus is supreme in all things. I think about what's happening um, around the world. I look at uh, the things that are happening in our community. I know some of the things that um, my friends my friends here this morning face in their jobs, in their workplaces, in their neighborhood. There's so many things that work against us that can um, be a distraction and can be discouraging. Again, I pray that through who we are in Christ that we can find joy in our sufferings. God, I pray that you would continue to draw each of us closer to yourself. We look forward to all that you have for us individually and as the body of Christ. And we'll lift all these things up to you for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's rise together one more time in body or spirit and respond in worship to this word we have received this morning.
the cross they made for sinners for every curse his blood atoned one final breath and it was finished but not the end we could know for the earth began to shake that veil was torn what sacrifice was made as the heavens
Amen. We want to thank you so much for worshiping here with us today. We pray now that you will go in faith and in the power of the Holy Spirit to love and serve the Lord this week. We will see you next Sunday.